One of the oldest municipalities in the U.S., Boston was founded in 1630 by Puritan settlers. Its historical importance during the American Revolution and rich cultural and scientific developments has made Boston the thriving global city it is today. Today, we'll be interviewing Catherine Algor, the president of the Massachusetts Historical Society. Sharing the stage with her is Michelle Grosso, the managing director of the historic Langham Hotel, which recently made Travel and Leisure's 2022 editor's picks for the best new hotels in the world. We're excited to explore this great American city on this episode of Destination Everywhere, Boston. Welcome to Destination Everywhere with hospitality and travel entrepreneurs Todd Bloodworth and Andy McNeil. Having traveled to over 100 countries, Todd and Andy bring you unique perspectives with celebrities in the know, hospitality experts, and native connoisseurs to discover must-dos and inspirational destinations to plan your next trip for business or pleasure. So pack your bags and get ready as we bring you Destination Everywhere with Todd and Andy. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Destination Everywhere, one of my favorite cities. And I know one of yours, Todd, as well as Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, man, it's come a long way from the infamous Tea Party in 1773, hasn't it? No, it definitely has. Boston, is. it's always been a great destination, uh, one of my favorites. It is the most populous city in New England. And, you know, it houses, one, all the cool teams that all of New England celebrates, including New Hampshire and Vermont and Maine. But it's the most populous city and 24th most populous in the U.S. It's a world leader in higher education and institutions like Harvard and MIT. So, yeah, uh, a lot of smart people in and around that city. Well, yeah, just such great cultural and arts and obviously the history above all else, you know, in the Museum of Fine Arts. And we're going to talk about the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum, which is a great place for events. There's just so many great things to do in Boston. You would think it'd be a much bigger city, right? It's 24th in size, but it's one of the oldest cities in America and one of the most impressive. So we're going to have a lot of fun talking about it today. And we also have Boston Common. And the Boston Common goes back to 1632. It's the oldest park in the United States. And it's a 50-acre park. And, you know, it's always in the background of festive gatherings, beaches, concerts, protests. It's actually the park. And you'll see a lot of pictures of it when you notice it now. There's swans in the park, as well as those pedal boats that are shaped as swans. So it's really pretty. And some call it the city of neighborhoods with the city government recognizing 23 different neighborhoods. So wow, that's amazing. Uh, absolutely. A lot of history. And we've got a great show for you today. Absolutely. And I'm going to be interviewing right now right after the break, Catherine Al Gore, the president of the Massachusetts Historical Society. We're going to delve back into Boston's history and how you can see it and some special tidbits and a special place to see some surprises. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. This is Andy McNeil on Destination Everywhere, and I'm so excited to have with us today Catherine Al Gore. She's the president of the Massachusetts Historical Society. They're also known as the MHS or the Society. Very cryptic, right? And it's the nation's first historical society. So when you're going to Boston, you know, what a great resource to find out what to do and to see all those special things and experiences that you can do. The MSH strives to promote understanding of the history of Massachusetts and the nation by collecting and communicating materials and resources that foster historical knowledge. Now, listen to this resume. Catherine received her PhD with distinction from Yale, 
where she won a Yale Teaching Award. Her dissertation received a prize as the best dissertation in American history. Wow, at Yale. She's a visiting professor at Harvard and an award-winning author and was appointed by President Obama to a presidential commission. So all incredibly impressive. Welcome, Catherine. How are you today? I'm so pleased to be with you. Thank you so much for asking about the society. Uh, very cool. Well, let's start with that. Tell us a little bit about the history of the society and how, how the name came to be. It's true. We are the first historical society, I think, in the Northern Hemisphere. And we got started because of a man with vision, which so many things start that way, don't they? Uh, Jeremy Belknap founded us in 1791 with the express mission of saving the story of the founding of the nation. Wow. So if you think about it, 1791, yeah. that's about a, you know, like a 20 years or so generation after the Declaration of Independence. And Belknap had lived through all of this. And he was so concerned that the materials, the, the letters, the papers of the founding moment, if you were. Yeah. Founding moment, if you want to call it that, were getting lost. And so he decided to found a society to preserve that. And sort of the thing that we sort of laugh about is we do call ourselves the Massachusetts Historical Society, but for him, we were just the society. We were the only society in the colony, <laughs> we were it. So we sometimes occasionally refer to ourselves as the society. But one of our great treasures came right from that impulse. There was a man in town that Jeremy Belknap wanted to get some communication with. And this man was a, a big cheese in town. He was an entrepreneur. He was a millionaire. And he went by the name of Paul Revere. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Paul. Jerry, Everyone so knows Paul. Every, 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 every grade school child knows Paul. He, the, he really starts the revolutionary story, doesn't he? He does. And the reason we know about him is because Jeremy Belknap said to him, hey, Paul Revere, before you pass on to another plane, we've heard about this ride you did. Would you write us an account of it? And so Paul Revere in 1791 sits down and writes out the account of that very, very famous ride. Wow. And Belknap uh, publishes it. And it is that account 100 years later that the poet Longfellow read in our reading room and then created the poem that we all know so well and that we celebrate. So it was right from the beginning, that impulse to kind of save those documents. Well, now That's incredible. That's thought, incredible. Oh, it is incredible. And you know, we've gone on. So, of course, we have all of the papers of the family of John and John Quincy Adams. We have our own copy of the Constitution. We have our declaration. We have more Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson papers than the entire state of Virginia, which the state of Virginia is not happy about. But there you go. <laughs> but we didn't stop collecting. So we've collected all the way through, you know, the 19th and 20th centuries all the way up to today. So we have not only like super famous and precious items like that. We have Lincoln's pen, who's, you know, the pen that Lincoln used to sign the Emancipation Proclamation. But we have lots and lots of ordinary materials from millions of citizens through Massachusetts and Boston who, you know, raised families and had businesses and attended churches and formed clubs and really formed the fabric of what it meant to be an American. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, this episode is about Boston and I love Boston. And every time I come to Boston personally, uh, with a group or on just a trip, I love to find those little tidbits of those little extra special things to do. Yeah. But I see um, for your audience, the historical society is, it is one of those like a little bit out of the way places. It's not necessarily open to the public that we are free and open to the public, but it would be perfect 
as a place to hold a special kind of added event to a meeting. I was going to ask that. I was going to ask that. Is it a great place to actually hold a, a reception or an educational session? Yeah. I mean, what well, we have are truly curated tours. So we can accommodate a group as little as, you know, five or seven people, up to 70 people or so. And what you would get in coming there, first walking into our building, I have to say it is magical. It is one of those buildings that you could not build now, even if you had like yeah. all the money in the world, because they're just rare carvings. And that's marble. awesome for you, right? Oh my gosh, absolutely. But of course, the treasures are the collections themselves. And we have such a talented and knowledgeable staff who love to share that. And so what the group would see is the actual thing, the real thing. And in a world where things are very available digitally, including our collections, to see the actual constitution, to see Lincoln's pen, to see the, you know, uh, Mumbet's jewelry. I mean, it's just incredible. And we are lucky to have some very nice spaces as well if somebody wanted to combine a tour with a reception. And again, taking place in a just unparalleled setting that feels truly special, truly magic, truly authentic. Oh, that's fantastic. What are some of your favorite items? Uh, you mentioned Lincoln's pen from the Emancipation Proclamation. What are some other really interesting things that might be really unique to your organization? We recently acquired a very, very precious object that we had thought been lost to history. And this is the sword that was carried in by the Massachusetts 54th into battle. And we thought it had been lost to history. And so we have the sword now. And just the way that we acquired it is just a fabulous story that you can come in and hear about. Great. Can you explain to our listeners what the Massachusetts 54 is? So the Massachusetts 54th Volunteer Infantry Regiment was the first military unit consisting of Black soldiers to be raised in the North in the Civil War. So really before 1863, there was no real effort made to recruit Black troops as Union soldiers. But after the emancipation, the idea came that this was, it was time now and Black men wanted to participate in this battle. And so the leader of this is a white man named Robert Gould Shaw. And maybe people remember the movie Glory, which is really the story. Absolutely, yep. Great great film. Great film. And so we have lots and lots of wonderful collections around that, including photographic portraits. So what was happening is these African-American soldiers who volunteered for this very first regiment did, as soldiers often do, they memorialized themselves with what would be the form of portraiture, tintypes, and other kind of photographs. And they're so incredibly moving because it was really their way of saying, you know, here we are there. And these are portraits that are done with black soldiers in their uniform as they set off. So, Catherine, um, you guys are located in the Fenway Park District. Tell us a little bit about that cultural district and how it serves the arts and music and the educational needs of, of Boston from a history perspective. Yeah, you know. Every single cultural institution has to ask themselves, how am I relevant in the world today? And what's so great about being in Boston, Boston's not only just about history, Andy, as you know, but totally about education. Absolutely. So, you know, as the Historical Society, our really our chief mission is we supply and support, literally like give money to the creators of knowledge. So researchers are at the heart of our mission. We give out fellowships and we help historians and journalists and people from all disciplines, serious scholars who produce the historical work that will then become, quote, what everybody knows. That's our way every day of making the world a better place. And that's really what the Historical Society is about, making the world smarter, 
and kinder. Well, that's great. And also it teaches an entire generation that you can have a career and a passion for the history and find out new things. Even in today, you know, finding that sword over 200 years ago, what a huge win. And that, that's incredible. Catherine, thank you so much for your time. Where can listeners learn more about the Massachusetts Historical Society? Oh my goodness. We're online. So it's masshist.org. So M-A-S-S-Hist.org. And we have, you can learn about the 54th Regiment. We have lots of stuff that's digitized. We have resources for teachers, for students, and anyone who's interested in the past. Well, that's fantastic. Well, I'm definitely going to jump on there and look. Thank you so much for your time. And we look forward to seeing you next time we're in Boston. Wonderful, Andy. We'll welcome you at 1154 Boylston Street. Excellent. Have a great day. Thank you. Welcome back to Destination Everywhere Boston. Now we're going to talk about some of our destination favorites. And number one for me has got to be the Quincy Market. Yeah. The Quincy Market, it's three blocks long of historic buildings that were restored in the 1970s. It has, you know, those traditional market stalls featuring local and international specialties. They have everything from sushi to sausage on a stick and barbecue to baklava. I mean, you can really find everything here. And during the summer, about 50,000 people wow. uh, will visit a day. So you might want to come early before the crowds descend. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite things to do besides that, which is absolutely incredible and a great place to eat, is you've got to go see the USS Constitution Old Ironside. It launched in 1797 and it's the oldest commissioned ship in the U.S. fleet. And Todd, do you know why she's named Old Ironsides? Well, during the war of 1812, when British shots appeared to bounce off the hole. That's why it got the name Ironsides. Wow. And she's had 42 naval engagements and her record is 42 and zero. So that's pretty awesome. And if you're there on the 4th of July, uh, she's towed each year into Boston Harbor for the celebration. So if it is the time of year that you're going to be there, you definitely want to go and see this. It's a great thing to do with your kids and just a fantastic experience. And obviously third on our list, is uh, Neptune Oyster. You know, New England is known for some of the best seafood in the world. This North End spot opened in 2004. It only has 37 seats and they do not take reservations. So but it's arguably, arguably some of the best seafood around. And in 2020, it was James Beard Award semifinalist and New York Post ranked it among the 21 best seafood restaurants in America. So when you think of Boston, is there a food that you think of, or if you think of New England in general? Well, definitely lobster rolls for sure, right? Lobster rolls. And in a town famous for lots of lobster rolls, Neptune Oyster definitely has one of the best, if not the best. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, one of my favorite things to do every time I go to Boston is to go to Chinatown. You know, there's a lot of great Chinatowns in San Francisco and Manhattan, This one is the third largest, and it's located in the southern edge of Boston, and lots of local flavor there. And you can stop by and get some authentic dim sum. sum. Yeah, absolutely. But there's lots of different, not just Chinese restaurants, but Korean, Japanese, Vietnamese, lots of history. So definitely check out Chinatown next time you're there. And our number five spot, and I think Andy mentioned it earlier in the show, is the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. The museum was opened in 1903 to house the personal collection of Isabella. The museum was modeled on the Renaissance palaces of Venice. It contains amazing priceless works of European, Asian, and American art. And unfortunately, in 1990, it was the site of the world's largest art heist, which 
Oh, yeah. Um, you remember that? I do. And thieves disguised themselves as police officers and stole hundreds of millions of dollars worth of art, including uh, Vermeer, Rembrandt, Manet's, Degas. All are still missing. Wow. Wow. Well, that's incredible. Great. You got to go to the museum. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. All right. So those are our destination favorites. And right after this, Todd is going to sit down and talk to Michelle Grosso, the managing director of the Langham Boston, one of the finest hotels in the city. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by AMI. Need help discovering that next destination for your group or meeting? Then go to AmericanMeetings.com and click on Destinations. Welcome back to this episode of Destination Everywhere. I'm really excited to speak to our next guest. If you've ever been to Boston, I think everybody is very familiar with the Langham Hotel. And we are fortunate enough to have the managing director, Michele Grosso, with us. And the hotel has just finished approximately a $200 million renovation. This is a four-star and four-diamond property uh, located in Boston's financial district. So, Michele, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. You know, we were talking just before we started recording, and, and you mentioned you started with the property right when it was starting these renovations. So, you, you probably more than anybody else, first, just tell us about the renovations. What, what did you do to the property? You know, it, it might be easier to tell you what we didn't touch, but literally, obviously, it's, it's a landmark building from 1922. So there were certain historic elements to the building we couldn't touch. The whole outside facade was left intact. But inside the building, all guest rooms, every single guest room, bathroom was demoed and taken back to concrete. Most of the public areas, other than a few historic places, were were literally all rebuilt and redone. So it is a completely new hotel on the inside. This obviously, as I think most people know that have done meetings and events there, for the, the transient traveler, this used to be a bank. This was the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. So what are some of those unique features that were part of this property uh, still exist, although redesigned? You know, I, I think one of the biggest areas to highlight is one of our meeting rooms, which we call the Wyeth Room, used to be the president's office during the bank. And other than a new carpet and new drapes, that room is restored and like it was in 1922. It features two murals painted by N.C. Wyeth on the walls, and they are, they are huge. And this room just has this, this wonderful feel to it. And it overlooks the park uh, opposite the hotel. But uh, that would be one area. It, it used to be the President's Bank. And uh, we have some old photographs around the hotel of the President sitting in the room. And it does not look much different. Another area that I could highlight is our restaurant, Grana, which used to be the Grand Hall of the Bank. And the floor is the original floor from 1922. It has a, a Federal Reserve Bank of Boston seal right in the middle of it. And the walls, all, all original and, you know, over the years covered up with carpet and various things. And as we prepared for the renovation, uh, this was uncovered and uh, is, is beautifully intact. But you, you mentioned Grana. Can you tell us a little bit about what their cuisine is and who the executive chef is? Yes, uh, Stephen Bukoff is an executive chef. And we decided to make Grana an Italian restaurant. But not really, you know, if you've been to Boston, the North End, it's not one of those uh, 
red and white uh, checkered tablecloth Italian restaurants, a little bit more modern. Um, we open for breakfast and lunch and brunch on the weekends. Very popular on Saturday and Sunday for brunch. At the moment, we are selling out about three weeks out. And grana is uh, the Italian for grain, but it is also the slang for cash. And we thought that was a pretty good name for a restaurant in the old bank. So there you go. And off the lobby, there's also the Fed, correct? The Fed is just really a great spin on a, a British pub. Our original Langham Hotel is in London, historic building from 1865. And it features a pub called the Wigmore. And so what we decided to do was a Boston version of the Wigmore and aptly named the Fed, has outdoor seating on a terrace in the summer and really is a very approachable, open to all locals and anyone who wants to come and visit. Beers on tap, a beer that we are currently brewing with Jack's Abbey Brewery, a local brewery. We great cocktail program and some you know, New England fair is featured in, in the Fed. Tell us the, the neighborhood that it's in down in the financial district. In terms of walkability, what, what are some of the, the great spots that guests can go to if they want to get out of the property? You know, I think some of the easiest places to get to Faneuil Hall for shopping, about eight, nine minutes away. And then the North End, which I spend a lot of my time in. Great to go there to get some cannoli and a coffee or have dinner. That's about a minute walk. The whole seaport district, which if, if you haven't been to Boston and if yes. this is really booming, it's where all the new restaurants are going. That's about a 10-minute walk across a bridge. And then, you, you know, Boston Common is about another 10, 11-minute walk away. So very, very central. If you want to catch a game, the Celtics or the Bruins, uh, TD Guns is about a 12-minute walk away as well. And how far are you from the airport? It's about a, a 10 to 12 minute drive. One of the great things about Boston for everyone who's flown in here is, you know, the airport is so central. So really not much of a, you just go down through the tunnel and come up and you're at the hotel. So in the hotel, it's, it's a French revival architecture. The inside, the new renovations, how would you describe the design? Is it modern? Is it classic? You know, not to dodge the question, but I will say it's a little bit of both. The, the designer, Richmond International, really took time to try and pay homage to the, the, the banking history of the building and the fact that we're in Boston. We didn't want to be one of those hotels that you open, you wake up in the morning and you wonder which city you're in for those uh, road warriors who, who every night is a different city. We wanted them to know the moment they opened their eyes were in Boston. And so Boston being such an important port back in the early 1900s, the design in the room, the furniture is all designed around the old steam trunks that people had uh, traveled with, with leather handles. The artwork is New England wildlife, harbor scenes, a few pictures of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, so apologies to any other baseball fans out there but definitely a lot of sense of place in, in the guest rooms. And then in the public areas, a lot of reference back to the bank. There is a lot of green as uh, paying homage to the, the, the bills. The design on the rugs that are, were custom made in the lobby, uh, the design from around a $1 bill, the leafs around it. So there's little touches and hints of the banking history throughout the hotel. If someone has 24 or 48 hours in Boston, 
Can you give us, you know, maybe two things that they absolutely must do if they haven't done it before? That you absolutely should do if you've come into Boston for the first time. You know, if, if it's in the summertime, I think getting on a boat and just doing the harbor, it, it's just such a great way to see the city. Boston is a big city, but in, in many ways, a smaller city as well. And you can see a lot from the water. So that would be one thing I would strongly encourage. And then another thing I would strongly encourage is to join the Freedom Trail and, and even just do part of it. Go over to Faneuil Hall, go over to the North End. Uh, those were actually great suggestions. And you mentioned the Freedom Trail, which is something I've done uh, just a, a little portion of. But, you know, I definitely got to get past that narrow window of the Freedom Trail that I've done in the past. But, you know, we want to thank you very much for joining us. And we can't wait to get back up to Boston and check out the renovation and, and the new space. If people want to follow you and they want to um, learn more about uh, the hotel and the property, what are some of your social media handles that you guys use that they can join and like? That, thank you, Todd. Yes, um, on Instagram at Langham Boston, and on Facebook at the Langham Boston. So two pretty easy ones to remember. Wonderful. Well, Michele, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to uh, seeing you soon on our next trip up to uh, Boston. I look forward to seeing you. Thank you so much for having me. We'll be right back. The property is such a great place, so it's definitely a must stay on one of your trips to Boston. Absolutely. Well, that wraps up our show. I mean, of all the things we talked about, Todd, what are kind of your favorite things you're taking? When you go back to Boston, what do you like to do? You know, I, I love going down to Faneuil Hall. I like just walking the city. Again, it's one of those places where you don't need a destination. You can just go out and start walking and you'll, you'll run into some really cool things. But they also have amazing cemeteries there that have a lot of historical significance. And, and I shopping. think that's really I mean, great shopping. Last time we were there, remember we went to that restoration warehouse, which was, was, oh, it, it was yeah. like an old bank building. It's just amazing. No, the Newberry Street, yeah. some of the best shopping in the world. But yeah, no destination is sometimes the best thing when you're going to Boston because you'll run into something great every single time. Yeah. And like you said earlier, the Boston Commons, you know, just walking that and enjoying on a beautiful, uh, bright, sunny day. There's really uh, very few cities that can rival a beautiful day in Boston. No, absolutely. Oh, and, you know, I, want, I wanted to mention if you go down, you know, right in between uh, Boston and Cambridge, you can go down and see the crew and the row teams go up and down the river, which is really just a neat thing to do and something not unique to the Boston area, but it's definitely something that they have a lot of, and it's a really cool sport to watch. All right. So that wraps up our visit to Boston. Thanks for uh, listening, everybody. And we'd also like to thank our team. We have our copywriters, Louis Pedraza and Kim Jordan, Annie Fernandez, our creative director, Rusty McNeely and Louis Pedraza, our podcast producers, and the Lightship Studios team. So Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show on your preferred podcast app or by going to www.destination-everywhere.com. We look forward to speaking with you next time on Destination Everywhere. Safe travels. You've just tuned in to another episode of Destination Everywhere with travel and hospitality entrepreneurs, Todd Bloodworth and Andy McNeil. To access the show notes and other helpful resources, visit www.americanmeetings.com. Join us again next week for another bucket list filled show as we feature another travel worthy destination. Until next time, travel well and be safe out there.